We have been looking at the importance of the attitude that Jesus wants us to have. Uh, as has been said, our altitude depends on our attitude. And the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, that we refer to often as the Beatitudes, share the Beatitudes God wants us to have. And so we've looked at several of these. Uh, the first one we start out, we saw the importance of realizing that we are spiritually poor, that it is there that we are in a position to receive his kingdom. And then next, we looked at the importance in Matthew 5 of blessed are those who mourn, that they'll be comforted. But he's talking about realizing that we are sinners, that we are broken, and that God has provided his comfort through the cross. And then the next one we looked at, last week or blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth the importance of of not being weak but understanding that the very power of god lives within us his holy spirit and that there is promised for us a new home a new place that's beyond what we know here in this kingdom in this life and that leads us to today and our verse today in matthew chapter 5 verse 6 I'll ask if you will stand in God's honor with me as I read aloud. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. God, we bow our hearts and our lives before you this morning as we come, Lord. We find ourselves longing for ways to be satisfied that do not satisfy and this morning, as we look at your word, God, Father, give us a hunger. Give us a thirst for righteousness. For only there do we find what we so need. And Father, just speak to our hearts. Thank you for being in this service so far, Lord. We believe your Holy Spirit is with us. And Lord, we long for that spirit to continue to speak. Because unless you speak, there's nothing we're saying, Lord. So thank you. For those here and those who are listening, Father, that together we worship you. Move us by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I think all of us, in one way or another, there is this love-hate relationship with food. And I hate to admit it, but sometimes I get so aggravated with it because either I am thinking about what I would like to eat or I'm mad about the fact of what I have eaten. And either way, I feel like I'm consumed with thinking about food. And, and you know, one thing that's really depressing is these nutritional lab labels they have on products. And you look at those things, and often when you look at what you're about to eat, you go, oh my, look at this poison I'm about to put in my body. And I remember a few years ago, the, the one thing you did not want to see on a nutritional label that uh, someone had made clear to me was high fructose corn syrup. And I was so thirsty, and I went into this convenience store, and I thought, I want, I want something to drink, but I don't want water. I just I want something with some taste. You know, well, I don't really want 100% fruit juice either. That was the only choices I had. Would you believe everything else in that refrigerated area that was a drink had high fructose corn syrup in it? 
I just got so aggravated, I just walked out of there. I thought, I'll go home, put some crystal light or something in some water to get some taste out of it. But the fact of the matter is, um, in a spiritual sense, what we put into our minds spiritually, what we hunger and thirst for, determines our spiritual health, how healthy we are, and the strength that we have in order to face each day and to relay Jesus Christ to other people is so dependent upon how we feed our minds. You know, there's an old saying, we are what we eat, and in a similar way, we are what we think about, as it says in Proverbs 23, 17. Um, There... There is a certain truth, obviously, to what we consume and the strength that we have or not have in the Lord. Now, you, you think about it, we live in a day of social media, and it is um, overwhelming and exhausting to see the different websites and the different matter of uh, platforms in order to see information and knowledge. Um, Here's just a few little quick facts I looked up on the internet, of course. 3.96 billion people currently use social media worldwide, almost double from 2.7 million in 2015. So this is 2020 statistics. So certainly on the rise, 83.36 of internet users are on social media. So if you're on the internet, More than two-thirds of the people, or three-fourths of the people, are on social networks. Here's the big one, though. Mobile users, these crazy phones that we all, most all of us have one running around with. Over 90% of everybody that has a cell phone is on some social platform of social media and using it. And listen to this one. 90.71% of those on cell phones are on active networks. 3.96 3.96 billion, 99% access websites or apps through their mobile phone, um, and only 1.5% of the people do that through a computer. So not only do we use social media, but what we carry with us every day, everywhere we go, every place we are, our mobile devices make it easily accessible. Matter of fact, it closes this information, it says, Globally, the average time a person spends on social media a day is 2 hours and 24 minutes. If someone signed up at 16 and lived to 70, they would spend 5.7 years of their life on social media. Jesus, in this verse here, as he commands us to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, is directly talking about where our minds are, where the focus of our thoughts live and reside. And and so we start out here, he tells us, what what is your appetite? What is the believer's appetite? What is it that you are ultimately hungering for? That word hunger, we get our English word from that word that means pining, to crave. To long for something. Uh, my wife does such a good job of preparing nutritious meals. And a lot of times through the day when I'm out, I think, you know, I, I really 
I really should go home and get some of the nutritious food in the refrigerator. But then this uh, voice calls out to me and says, why don't you get a hamburger? Or uh, some fries. Man, I remember, guys, it's been years ago now, but I went through this one health phase, and I was able um, to ride my bicycle a lot with my schedule. And, and so I did a lot of bike riding, and I was really good for a year. And I got down to my high school weight. I had, I had uh, ladies in the church, elderly ladies in the church saying, Are you okay, honey? Are you sick? And it worked great until about a year and two months later, I ate my first French fry. It was over. You know, back to those same old habits. Um, back to those same old cravings. Jesus tells us here what the cravings are supposed to be. We are to hunger and thirst, pine for, crave, righteousness so here's the question is jesus talking about objective righteousness which means salvation through him one at calvary not our performance but the provision of the cross or is he talking about our daily experience of living for jesus and longing to be like jesus one commentator put it like this this righteousness Jesus describes here doesn't have to do with being right with God as much as it has to do with living right for God. Being right with God relates to your status. Living right for God relates to your experience. So, are you most supremely happy when you're walking close with God or when God is seemingly far away? and you're not listening to his voice, and you're not following him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And so Paul was saying, what I want to do is please Jesus. Now, what a thought. What a thought that we can actually please him with our lives with our choices, with our passions, we can bring pleasure to God. In Philippians 4, verse 8, we find these words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things in other words let that be your spiritual appetite what is true what is noble what is pure what is right what is lovely what is admirable excellent praiseworthy let that be the righteousness that you hunger that you thirst for that daily experience of knowing jesus christ let me give you an example that happened in 1971 in western canada a revival broke out and and let me tell you the difference between true revival and just an emotional experience that lasts for a couple of hours or for a week of a gathering is people's conduct changes. Their lives change. The reason we know revival really broke out in Canada is not how people walked down the aisle and cried at the altar, and, but we know because of what happened after they left. People fell under conviction from God 
and they started going to stores and confessing the fact that they stole stuff from stores. And they had a willingness to pay for it. They began, as they say, not only going down the aisle, but across the aisle. And people began to say, I need to be forgiven. I'm sorry that I offended you. People began wanting to make things right that they knew were wrong in their lives. It was kind of crazy at the border of Canada and the United States. There were people from Canada even going down to the United States and saying, man, I, I stole stuff from you and I want to make it right. Revival had broken out. Lives were changed. That's when we know there's a real hunger and a real thirst for righteousness. When our lives match our lips. When the two are joined together. And then there's the believer's satisfaction. Notice as Jesus continues, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or one translation says, they will be satisfied. The word speaks of cattle that are well fed with fodder. And so, you know, that they're going to uh, bring a good price. <laughs> they're going to uh, be fattened up. But the idea is that these cattle are completely uh, satisfied with the food that they receive, fattened up. It uh, made me think about Thanksgiving. Man, I love Thanksgiving. You know, I, I, get too, I don't get too crazy. I'll make y'all too hungry, you know, thinking about, because I can paint some word pictures about food. I love food. But anyway, let, let me not dream about that too much, because uh, it's about that time. <laughs> But anyway, you know, I will eat. And I remember one time my mom, we talk about this all the time. Uh, my mom came for Thanksgiving. I don't know what happened to her. My mom out ate me for Thanksgiving. This is a big deal, guys. I mean, she was piling away plates of food, and we were all in awe. We didn't know that this little woman could eat so much food. She was, he, she was going at it. And then she got done, and she did what was typical of my mom. She said, I'll never eat again. And I said, we know that's not true, Mom. And you know what? I've proven that's not true. Because what happens? You load up like a, you know animal at the trough. You know, oh, this is good. And then things are good for a couple hours. And then what happens? I think, maybe I'll go uh, see if I can find me a turkey sandwich. Or maybe another round. Why? Because getting filled does not last. You get hungry again. And so it is with our experience with Jesus Christ. It is not enough to have one experience with Jesus Christ. It is not enough to have one testimony to tell about the goodness and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We have to keep going back. We have to say, Lord, I need more of you. I need to be filled again. I need, Lord, a new experience, a new touch, a new movement of your spirit because, Lord, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I long for you to work in my life, Lord. You see, being hungry again, all it really does is give us evidence of one thing. We're not spiritually dead. Because you can eat one time, but I tell you what, if you only eat one time, you're going to die because you need more food. It is evidence of the fact that you know Jesus when after you have hungered for Him one time and tasted of His goodness, 
that you hunger again. If the people of God never see you again, if the people of God never hear from you again, if there is no evidence in your life of Jesus Christ and the saving work and power of Jesus Christ in your life, if no one ever sees that you love Jesus again, then it appears to me there is no hunger and there is no thirst. Evidence of the presence of Jesus Christ is that hunger and that thirst. And if the hunger and thirst is not there, it is time to do an evaluation. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourself. You are in Jesus Christ. Unless, of course, you fail the test. Is there hunger? Is there thirst? I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to say if you know Him or if you don't. But I will tell you this. If there is not a hunger, you better check it out. You better examine it. You better be sure. Two questions. What am I hungry for? And how hungry am I? What am I hungry for? Are you hungry for righteousness? Christ. How hungry? How hungry? There's a story of the great teacher Aristotle. One of his students came to him and said, Teacher, you are so wise, and I, I want to be wise like you. Teacher, I, I want to have your kind of wisdom. Socrates carefully looked at him, and he said, Do you really? He said, I do. Okay, follow me. And so Socrates begins to walk through the area. His student follows him, and he does something unexpected. Socrates walks into a pool of water, and he goes right to the middle of the water, and the student thinks, what is he doing? But he said, follow me, so I'm going to follow him. So he walks in the water with the teacher, Socrates, in obedience to get that wisdom. And once they get to the middle of the pool, unexpectedly, Socrates grabs him by the back of the neck and pushes him underwater and holds him there. And the student is flailing his arms, and he's fighting, and suddenly he realizes, I might die. I can't breathe. And so finally, seemingly at the last possible moment, Socrates pulls him up out of the water, and the guy's sputtering, <coughs> coughing out water, desperate. And he's got that look of fear in his eyes. And Socrates talks to him, and he says, uh, So, young man, when I held your head underwater, what did you want more than anything? And he said, Air, air, sir, air. And Socrates responded to him and said, When you want wisdom as badly as you wanted air, you will have. We find, we find righteousness when we want it. When our hearts really want it. Desperately long for Him. So the question for you and for me, what do you want? Do you want Christ? A starving man doesn't want food in a new car. 
All they can think of is food because he's starving. A parched woman who's dying of thirst doesn't say, I, I want water in a new outfit. No, she has to have that water at that moment. And too often, I'm afraid, we as believers say, I want Christ, but I want this and that too. How badly do we want it when we attach on other wants in regard to the desperation? We're not quite famished enough, I'm afraid. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for then they will be filled or they will be satisfied. One man wrote this prayer. He said, Lord, give me a longing to long for you. Give me a hunger to hunger after you. Give me a thirst that is thirsty for pleasing you. Is that your prayer? Let's pray. God, we come today realizing, Lord, that the way to be filled, the way to be satisfied is to have the right appetite. So, Father... um, We want to come to you in this time we call invitation. And Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And and that question, Lord, what am I hungry for? And how hungry am I? Holy Spirit, have your way as we ask these questions, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.